0: Hello and welcome back to the Behind the Music Business podcast with me, Danny Champion. The music business podcast where I talk to a whole host of different people in and around the music industry about their life in the music industry, their jobs, their motivations, you name it. This week's chat is with Rupert Hollier. Of Red Five Creative, I've known Roo for a number of years since his time at Imagem that we speak about on the pod. Uh, but he has now, well, just before we sat down to talk, he had branched out on his own, setting up a new business, Red Five Creative, and we talked everything music supervision and music in film and everything like that. So those who are interested. In this side of the business, this is a really, really interesting take, interesting insights in this area of the business. Uh, Since the interview, uh, Red 5 Creative have actually completed the work on the films that he's mentioned, including Nomis and the BAFTA-nominated feature doc McQueen with the score by Michael Nyman. McQueen is actually now available on Netflix, so do go and check that out. Um, Red 5 have also supervised a number of other films including the Oscar nominated The Wife starring Glenn Close and are currently supervising a number of other projects including Hell on the Border which is a western starring Ron Perlman among others, a feature documentary on the Grand Theft Auto franchise and the new Michael Winterbottom film. They've also recently completed a virtual reality project, which is something that I'm going to have to get him back on to talk about uh, with Conservation International featuring Philip Cousteau, which will be premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival. And this features bespoke music from an as yet under wraps electro giant. So watch this space on that one. Um, I think that one's going to be a really interesting one to look up when it comes out. Red 5 have also just entered into a joint venture with Atlantic Screen Group and this plugs directly into their score funding model. Score funding is again something that we chatted about on the pod. So there's the introduction for this week. I'm going to shut up now so you can listen to my chat with Rue Hollier. Cheers. How is life, at the moment? Life is good. Yes. Life is sporadic. Yes. Um, music life sporadic, or music life focused? Music life is
1: focused within a field of sporadicness. Interesting. In as much as, you know, as you know, I used to be a rights holder, mm-hmm. and a supervisor within that, yep. and it was a steady gig, and now I've branched out on my own with a few other consultancy bits, so i have some structure. Yep. but then it's still the Wild West hustle of going out there for the next gig but then also having to do the work for the previous gigs and all the consultancy so it's really good and you know, it definitely focuses you to, to be yeah. out there hustling and fishing for your own fish rather than with, you know, big brother behind you or whatever yes. it is. There is, That's I mean, good.
0: we, we talked about this earlier that there is something nice to have a big brother helping you out with a salary yeah. whilst you're fishing but this is the first truly freelance or self self self-funded first for 10 years
1: yeah but I was 10 years younger with 10 years less contacts 10 years less experience maybe 12 years so more energy more energy less direction right yeah 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 or more energy for other things anyway
0: what's it what's it like being a business owner in music supervision and sync at the moment? It's a very competitive market, mm. but
1: with a relatively small field. And I think the reason, so I do it with a, with a partner of mine who was actually my, my old number two yes. at, at Metropolis. Yes. Um, so we're now equal partners in this business. I think because we both had, you know, obviously very terrible reputations before, but we, nonetheless, we had some reputation good or bad, we could bring that into this Sending business. Sending yourself short there a little well, bit. a little, little bit, maybe, but it's, I mean, just the work. We have a body of work that we can go into this new business and kind of legitimately say, look, we have done this yep. and we've done it as a duo or we've done it as two individuals and now we are together. Yeah. So
0: this is Red 5? This is
1: Red 5 Creative, yeah. Red 5 Creative started this year? Started effectively on the 1st of January. Okay. With a few months pre-planning before, mm-hmm. which was really good. And we... I mean, we do all the kind of supervision stuff that you'd expect of a supervision company, but we run a, we run a sync event um, and we also do a lot of consultancies. We have two main ones, which is like sync and music strategy for, uh, this one is a tech platform, um, but I also sit uh, in, I hate that phrase, but kind of sit in a company which is a score funding company. So right. Red5 have an agreement with this company. Now I consult for that company, but it means that Red5 can bring in score funding to
0: film projects okay. via this other company, which is great. So it's a, a good mix. So uh, was was the specific idea behind Red 5 to offer something ever so slightly different to the rest? You mentioned that it's a competitive market and all that sort of stuff. So it was definitely about finding a niche, finding, a, finding something different than just we'll search for music for you and we'll buy it. Yeah, yeah, for you,
1: we we shall negotiate the choppy waters of licensing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a- absolutely, and we knew we had to be. Listen, we're not reinventing the wheel, um, but I think the score funding, I think the consultancy side, and the event side absolutely sets us apart a little bit. But similarly, we're not. Go- you know, it's such a cynical world, the especially the the you know British sync scene having just been out in America last week and seeing all how that works. Right. You know, um, and everyone is, it's a cliche, but very open-armed to it. And they do want to do deals here. its I find it very cliquey, very prohibitive. So Elaborate yeah. on that a bit. Um, I think there is, uh, I think part of it is the just the, the general, general, I'm not being too picky here, but the general British diaspora in terms of just how we interact with people. I think the nature of the market, it's a lot smaller because yeah. we have a blanket license, so the licensing opportunities are smaller. Yep. People, I think, whilst everywhere they jealously guard their clients, I think in a territory like America, I'm certainly not waving a flag for it, but it's so big and because the, there's no blanket, the networks, there are so many placement opportunities, at least in it's not as land grabby in
0: a way. Right, you haven't got a lot of people scrabbling over the same, the same thing. You've actually, there's kind of enough for everybody. Yeah, and so, so it's not going to gonna completely
1: screw someone over um, if, you're, if you're placing some tracks in one of a million channels on one, mm-hmm. one programme. Whereas here I think there are, I think, you know, we are a kind of cynical, a cynical... <laughs> country. Um, I think London, especially where I'm based, is incredibly cynical, incredibly clingy to its own contacts and network. People are probably just rightfully so in some ways, you know, it's dog eat dog out there. Um, but it's, it's very difficult to get ahead in it. Um, so whilst Dave and I certainly aren't going out there waving flags going, oh, we're amazing, we do this, no one else does this. Oh, it's just We just do more than just sync. Yeah, because we are music people. We are music publishers and rights holders and former master owners and mm-hmm. etcetera, etcetera. And we run this event, so we've learned on that side how to do things. So we, you know, we do bring more to the table. Put it this way, we wouldn't say no
0: to pretty much any job. And I don't think anybody has the uh, or can get away with turning things down no. these days, especially when you're when you're going into business for yourself. What, what's the first time of going into business, or at least for the for, for quite some time what do you what what's what's it entail what does your day look like these days it
1: depends i mean generally the luxury is i might get a morning a week i can play with my child um but you know the flip side is that day on day i, I feel more motivated doing it because whilst i'm not you know i'm still up very very early but i'm not getting on the tube and running in at 8 a.m. to go to a desk, mm-hmm. uh, all the normal stuff that would come with that. I find myself completely more motivated to be making calls, finishing reports for clients. You're only as good as your next ten minutes, in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, or your next week. Um, the longer term projects have to be addressed now, so there is there's always this self perpetuating urgency I'm finding with it. But it's not, it's not, it's bizarre. It's not stressful in a way because you're doing it for yourself. So the yeah. thrill of the chase is there. We've been very lucky that we took a couple of jobs in with us and picked up some quite early. So one thing we haven't felt, which I'm expecting, is the pinch, and that right. will come, um, and that will probably change my my outlook on it. Which it does, right? It does to to everyone in every sector. Mm-hmm. But it's um, it is good. It is nice. It's empowering. But as I say, you know, if if the jobs don't come in, then that's going to change. And so, what's some of
0: the stuff that's been been coming in? So we've um,
1: so we've just we're just in the throes of finalising some placements and some well we're doing the supervision on a movie called Nomis Mm -hmm. which is an American film with Henry Cavill who was Superman and Ben Kingsley which is a really cool job it's like a seven and a half million Henry Cavill
0: with or without a
1: CGI'd top lip uh, without a CGI top lip. <laughs> well, I think he has a CGI child in it. It's all a bit odd. He, looked, he looks very... Okay. He doesn't it's, it's the polar opposite of like, clean-cut Clark Kent. Right. He's got like, a very big beard and long, long hair. Right. And looking beautiful. You know, nice. And all rugged. Of that, all of that. Yeah, rugged. <laughs> Present company included. Standard. Um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a cool movie, man. So we're doing that. We're doing the new Alexander McQueen feature doc which is, as every director of a feature doc would say, but it's in the style of an Amy or a Senna, it's that type of, right. That's that side of the field, mm-hmm. uh, which is all about Lee McQueen, Alexander McQueen, the, the, um, the, the, uh, the, the fashion designer. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I won't say yet is who
0: the composer is on it, but that's been, let's say, a very interesting journey. So those two projects, both, for want of a better word, film projects, mm-hmm. one's composer, Led The other ones, music supervision, so finding individual placements yeah. for for commercial tracks rather than finding and working with a composer or doing a bit of both? Um, on these two projects, you're absolutely right. They're both quite separate, but mm-hmm. we
1: do do all of it or 1% of it. It depends what the film requires. So Nomis, when we came to that project, it already had a composer on board and everything in place, um, and they just needed pure supervision in its most pure... Commercial license form. So it's like doing a search. I mean, very interestingly, he. um, I won't reveal too much just because the film's not out. But there is a a scene towards the end, and and think you know, Silence of the Lambs in the house underneath the you know where that kind of stuff. Um, Big crescendo. There needs to be some very odd music in there, and it's very specific to a time of year and all of that, and you know. That cue is completely nailed on, that it needs to be something very specific. They don't have the specific song in mind, but they know exactly what kind of song it has to be. Uh, that song also needs sound design all over it, right. which will be, you know, that, as you well know, that is a minefield when it comes to clearing rights, because not only are you trying to clear the rights, you're trying to clear them with a load of sound design done on top, which isn't normal people mm-hmm. see dollar signs, and the budget is quite restrictive, even for a decent US indie. And then the other three cues in this job are just... He doesn't give a shit. He's like as cheap as possible, <laughs> you know. And often that's so well, always that fun. Happens. Isn't oh, it? It's always fun, you know. What can you find for one no, pound? Yeah. What can you find um, for free? Uh, nothing at all, sir. Well, you can, but but again, as as everyone knows, you know, it's versus budget, and it's and it's all of that. So,
0: from yeah. a musical side of things, and you mentioned that you've, you're coming from a rights owner side of things, are you finding that you are talking to people who are trying to buy music and trying to champion the value? of that music? Is that your one of your main roles in there or are you trying to just find the music that will, is the most cost effective? It's funny, I've had
1: a project recently where I had access to an artist who had just hit like her three millionth stream on Spotify in four months, which I'm pretending like I know what that really means. <laughs> um, like nodding sagely as I go, but it's, I mean, no, She she'd just done that and I knew the management and I knew given a fair wind, being no kind of a r that she was probably going to break, and certainly to license that song into that particular movie and that particular scene would cost twice as much in six months, just because of her trajectory and where it had got to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really I really wanted to, to champion this, this girl, you know, I thought she was fantastic, um, I thought the music wanted to get out there, I wanted to kind of help management, because I believed in that and I'd been party to that process. Yep. And the song was perfect for the queue, absolutely what was needed. The director loved it. It was a little bit more expensive, even at that level, than he wanted. And I said, look, pal, you, you definitely want this in there because this is going to add to your whole offering because you do care about the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. In this case, sometimes they don't, but he did. So I said, look, this is the perfect moment. And occasionally as a suit, but again, as you know, you, often you can be very passive, which a lot of people don't know. Often you can lead it. Um, Often you do get the bit between your teeth and you're like, no, you really should just try and use it. And you, you judge with a
0: producer or director, depending on who's leading it,
1: how far you can push them. But is that you coming know?
0: from a creative level? You're kind of saying, look, find the money because this works perfectly on a creative perspective. Or are you kind of going, this is good, but that's just what music costs. It's and it's of- a bit of a hot topic these days with just the value of music, with streaming and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's who is championing the value yeah. in that world. I think those two points are a bit of both.
1: For me, anyway, mm-hmm. it's a bit of both. It's like, look, creatively, because we're all, you know, we're all creatives or frustrated creatives because we couldn't make the band make it. So we had to go and wash <laughs> pots in, in a major. Yeah, and all yeah. that. But, you know, yeah, of course you can't turn off that. You know, I spend my life looking at images and listening to music and I have a fair ear for it but again it's about the people involved in the project you've got to know how far you can push a director or a producer how far they give to um, figs about your creative mm-hmm. input sometimes they don't sometimes they really need it and they say that More, you know, not as much as one would like but I think with that point it, I think this particular spot creatively yeah I think it was definitely in the zone but I think it would it would have augmented and will augment, potentially, because it still might go in there. The scene, I think, for what they want budget-wise, it's, it's worth a shot, because it will elevate the pitch. Mm-hmm. It will elevate the, the moment. Um, and on the outside, people will remember this song, because it is going to break soon. So but it's a really nice example of how yeah. these things sometimes can, can move, you know?
0: Are your relationships with the film industry via you've mentioned producers and you've mentioned directors? Who are you mainly working with? Are you in the thick of it with the director, talking to him or her about their vision, or is it more on the kind of the you know the producers' side of things, the the fixers, I guess? Right, we need music now. Go, yeah, do your thing. So, where are you finding it? Where does it, where do you as a supervisor, where does a film supervisor come in these days?
1: I'd say, I mean, probably, okay, this is vague, but maybe 65, 70% of my jobs are because of a relationship with a producer. Um, in fact, I'd say the initial jobs are, initi- are initiated because 90% through the producers. Yeah. Um, then, when it gets onto it, I'd say that goes down to about 70% with director led projects. Um, Directors are a funny breed I find and, and so are producers and I'm sure they say the same with the little music supervisors in the corner and everyone in the millions of departments mm-hmm. they have to pull together. A lot of directors, um, some directors are parachuted in and often the director is more, is an artist. You know, a
0: director is that is that diva,
1: is that artist.
0: And that's, that's one of the reasons, you know? that's, that's kind of the idea behind the questioning is that you've got the diva, the creative, the auteur yeah. and you've got the people who have got a spreadsheet yeah, the blood and their budgets and, uh, right, we need stuff and this is how much money I've got to spend. Yeah. How Make can I do this? So. And they're very, very different ways of doing the same, the same job. It's weird because certainly one
1: film I'm working on currently, I'm only talking to the director and I've only ever talked to him. And that is weird. I find it disconcerting because as a supervisor you have to be both you have to be slightly spreadsheet and slightly creative and know when to lean more to one do- side or the other absolutely yeah. and I do think that's a skill I do think that's a, a slight people skill you don't need to be Sigmund Freud mm-hmm. or even Darren Brown or Darren Brown but you just need to be able to read the situation quite quickly which yeah. most of us can do but if you don't you can very quickly get, get kind of shouted at eaten up or what have you I'm finding it difficult just dealing straight with the director because when I talk about budget he said, well just keep it low but that doesn't help me because, as you well know, we work with quite finite you know if it's a thousand quid that's going to be completely different to five hundred, completely different to three thousand quid yeah yeah you know yeah. and you've you've done that millions of times right you just you get this you must have had a natural instinct for what you can get for what money like
0: off the yeah i mean it was for me, it was always. If I like the project, I think, and again, it's it's different. You can talk about films in a very, very different way that you would talk about advertising and things like that, is that one of them is very much more, it's branding, it's advertising. So Mm -hmm. a fee feels different. You kind of go, well, if you want this attached, this is being attached for a specific reason. Whereas, and I'm sure you can agree with this, that in a film it's, it's a piece of art within within another piece of art, mm. and talking to a creator about somebody else's creation and how that they want your thing to be in that—it's a very very different conversation. Yeah. So suddenly, actually, budget isn't as strict. It's not. Oh yeah, that's quite a nice scene. Or oh yeah, I really think that you know this director's done some really cool stuff in the field. I think he's going places. I think we should we should get on board with this project rather than if, you know, a brand comes along it says, yeah, it'll cost you this. And if you can't pay it, then you don't, you don't get it. Mm. So it's, it's a different way of looking at the same thing depending on what the project is. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Completely, completely. <laughs> what, what does a music supervisor need in their toolkit, in their toolbox? In their, in their for, for you personally, in I, this is when I, when I talk to multiple supervisors. I want to see if if there's a unified way of looking at this very, very in vogue part of the music business these mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So what, what does a what does a music supervisor need? What do you need, you need. Um, I think maybe a few people will say
1: this. You definitely need. First of all, you need a thick skin, and you have to realise. Um, that you are going to be blamed, smashed, loved, poured, um, as in poor with claws um, right. all over. You are the fool guy, as all heads of department are on a film. Um, if you get something right, amazing. If for some reason you can't clear a track, you will be blamed for it. It's, it's right. those kind of things. So. Thick skin is very important and also one has to remember that you're not the centre of the universe. You are a small part of this massive ecosystem and you just have to be as smooth as clockwork. Just make it work, just provide and service. And that goes back to what I was saying about being able to read how far you can push your own creative input. You know, I think in terms of actual on-the-ground knowledge, of course an encyclopaedic of some areas of music helps or at least a broad spectrum of different types, what they'll cost. Relationships with rights holders are very important. Mm -hmm. Um, The higher up the food chain, the better, because then it means you can get very quick and instant clearances. Um, I have some decent relationships on that side, others not not so good, Uh, in terms of, you know, I haven't got smashed out of my head when I was 20 with certain rights holder heads of majors, others I have. So those kind of relationships are very important and that's that's the long game, you know what I mean? But I think that kind of thing, knowledge of, of music generally is obviously going to help a music supervisor because you can move very quickly from genre to genre, be able to spit fire out and, you know, rapidly give suggestions, budget analysis, exactly, you know, what, what range songs are going to fall under. Um, How you did know. you learn that? Sync is made up. Sync is a completely <laughs> made up thing. It's, it's, it's a, is that helpful? Um It can be. I mean certainly i remember being you know part of a big major rights holder and putting my finger in the air when the phone rang just going well how much do we feel like we're charging for that you know how do how do buyers
0: feel um about that
1: again it depends because you've got to read who the buyer is and what the brand you know if, if you're ascertaining that the brand is a brand that may have a lot of cash or you certainly better way to do it because the big brands often don't as you well know have a lot of cash for their music um, which is why score funding works so well for us but often with a brand you've you kind of got to see if have they got a big turnover in the past especially in advertising have they done a lot of these briefs what have they paid for before because it's effectively based on the notoriety of the artist the notoriety of the song how famous it all is you know van Morrison it doesn't need me to say this like he's notoriously grumpy um, he still does sync but you've got to go through that that whole process. Um, but sync is is made up. You Stick your finger in the air. I think if a band is about to break and there's a big A&R bun fight over it, that pushes the price up. Mm-hmm. In terms of the actual price, it's different in the UK because of the blanket. So yeah. we're not dealing out the syncs in the same piecemeal hand over fist way that they are in the States. Or even like Brazil, for example. You know, there's so many programs over there, all that need licensed music, and it all has to be paid for. Different level
0: of fees. But I'm I believe, from talking to the PRS recently, that Brazil's blanketed. No. Yeah. No way. The okay. big the big TV channels. Anyway, Globo and all well, of that. Yeah, I think okay, so. Okay, okay. It's something that I've learned recently. That's great. Yeah. That's good knowledge. Thanks, man. No, bloody- <laughs> you are <laughs> oh, well, welcome.
1: Uh, no, that's really good. But that, but that's the point. Like, big territory. Suddenly, those jobs will shrink. Mm-hmm. And I know a few sync teams on the ground in Brazil, and they... They traditionally did quite well out of sync because there were almost European-American rates, whereas PRS royalties were down, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of how you validate the a quote, it's very hard. I mean, there are some bands that you just know won't get out
0: of bed, in inverted commas, for less than 100 grand. Well, but this is, I, I remember being at the maybe even the first sync sessions that you held in Chiswick a few years back, and this was a topic of conversation. Yeah. I remember one of the supervisors just saying that that brands that music uses don't like the fact that there is not a price list. Yeah, that There is not a thing where music costs this. It's Go use library. Music <laughs> costs whatever I think it costs that day. And is that a good thing? Again, as you
1: know, it's it's the media terms are everything. I think that there's two examples of this. I mean, on one side, library music, rate carded, go for it all day long. I know loads of directors that are lazy, so they will go to certain libraries and just go, "Well, I'll just get it off there." It's, so it's also like, getting a lot better. It's it's, a, it's amazing. It, yeah. It's 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 where Sync was ten years ago. It's like the Wild West. People are going, oh "My God, I'm gonna make these," guys. and it's, it's fantastic. And you know, we both know certain libraries out there that are doing. Really well, with great teams, and they're proper musicians involved, mm-hmm. actually making music as well as, as producing and all that. The, the actual question on the commercial license, I'd say it spins two ways. And I'll give you a really uh, example I like. So often I have to explain, mainly to directors, sometimes to producers, weirdly, more to directors, why I need to reveal to the rights holder what the total production budget is of the film. And they're like, yeah, but they're going to take me for a ride. And, you know, if I say that it's like four million and actually it's two, or if I say, you know, la, la, la. So, no, you need to be honest. Number one, because they will not even entertain licensing you anything if they don't know the production budget. It's an industry standard question. It's not legal necessity, but they all ask. Bar none, they all ask. Um, Okay, so, yes, of course, they're going to charge you more if the movie's 20 million. But more often than not, your film, at least on an indie level, is going to be much less
0: than they expect. But also, it can be yeah. th- therefore it will it can be seen as it's a percentage of the f- total cost of the film, because um, Germany still does. I think it did back in the day anyway. Fees based on a percentage of the production cost of of the thing. So it wasn't a stick a finger in the air and pick a pick a number out. It was a. Okay, your project is costing you X. Therefore, the music for your project, yeah, is costing a percentage, of a percentage of, of X, that. and that would, percentage yeah. raises and lowers depending on who the artist is and their standing within within things. So it's 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 a relative cost as opposed to, uh, yeah, a figure just yeah. randomly no, pulled out three hundred grand, yeah. and, it's,
1: and it's not it's not like the the whole Fox thing you know, where they've got two million budget for each movie for the music licensing, but I think the, the, it's a really good point point. and the thing with that is that unless it's one of those big bands you're probably not going to stick your finger in the air that much, more for advertising I have to say, but you've always got a music budget but, and I'm often asked by rights holders what the music budget is and I never feel I have to tell them because that's when they're starting to hustle. The, the, the,
0: the, Do you find that out early doors? the music budget yeah yeah. I mean do you when you get brought onto a project you go right you've got X yeah 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 pretty much pretty much I mean the
1: one I'm mentioning at the moment where the guy doesn't he's just saying keep it low it's fine I will drag that out of him but that's a director led movie for me which is an odd one producers will generally tell you
0: Mm -hmm. Um, how often does it change midway through uh, the production um,
1: you know it does happen it does (laughs) happen like not so much as in advertising but certainly I can think of maybe 3 or 4 over the last 2 years that have changed slightly. They'll always want to save money. Um, of course they will. Uh, more often than not if we what we also do as supervisors is go out and obviously I've had this relationship with a score funding house. We go out and broker those deals. So we'll go and find funding for the score for the creation of the original IP and the original music for the mm-hmm. film. That is often very above board done on a percentage of the total production budget. So it'll like be 0.8% up to 1%. Of the total production budget is what a score funder should probably be looking to put. So in.
0: Talk a bit more about score funding for those who don't necessarily know okay. what the hell that is. So, like the,
1: the yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely relevant question. The 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 um,
1: the basics of it are, and you'd be surprised. Like even on massive Hollywood movies that aren't studio films, right. like not studio films. Studios always pay for their score. If you pay for the score, which is all the original IP,
0: all the incidental music. As in paying for a composer to write a piece of music yeah. specific. You're commissioning of, yeah, them, yeah, okay. um, So, and out
1: of the lump sum that you will give to the production for that, the composer will be paid for, they will be expected to pay for all of the orchestral recordings if that's what they're doing. It might be that the score is a rock and roll band, mm-hmm. and they want 12 tracks made by this rock and roll band. It's the same deal, because it's new music the score funding company then own the rights to that music. 99% of the time in perpetuity, like worldwide, forever, all exploitation rights. The only thing they don't own is the writer's share. Mm -hmm. They own the publishing, the master, exploitation. That's how they make their money back. They will often ascertain this on the potential sales of the film, potential distribution deals, that kind of thing. Um, And then they can see how much investment they're going to put in, and how likely they are to make it back? You know, very simple investment um, yeah. equation, basically. Um, but it's good. It's good. And there, there are different companies out there that do different things. There's, everyone's kind of trying to get the special source and see how they ascertain.
0: How it. much, how much legs does a school have outside of the use in a film? One would be surprised. Well, know. that's, that's yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of, I'm it's, expecting to be surprised, yeah. at the answer to that.
1: I've, I've done a lot of syncs with pre-existing classical scores of the last five, ten years yeah. uh, in advertising campaigns,
0: trailers. Trailers are massive for existing scores. So, you, so you know, we would all be surprised at how many yeah. bits of music in a trailer are actually a bit of a score from a completely different... Exactly. Film. There's been two two movies I've, I've been,
1: one I've worked on, one I've been attached to in my short little lifespan in this game, uh, where they've used other existing score and put it in as the score in the film. Right.
0: Um, now, rights is, is another thing with that. But Well, there has been stuff recently that there's kind of a, a bit of a spate of infringement issues on... Yeah, a film gets edited together using a score from another film and then the new composer just gets asked to write something that's as close to the first yeah. one as possible and yeah yeah. there's a few of those knocking are we moving door. away from that a bit more now I think have, have studios kind of to. gone we're not going to do that anymore because we keep on getting sued
1: yeah well they can't they can't I think the, the, the studios yeah they can't carry on doing it and the studios were for years and years completely well acting with impunity on every single level you know, from from the way the producers acted with the casting couch which is very topical, all the way down to the music. They just yeah. do what the hell they want. I mean, I was super, 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 and I mean, this super lucky uh, to to. I went to see the head um, the head of one of the studios over in LA a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. head of music, and he very kindly took me into a live score of this big superhero movie that's happening. So I was in in the room with the orchestra while they were doing it, cutting to picture on the last scenes and. You see quite how much manpower goes in to these kind of productions, mm-hmm. like how much money is put there. Like the licensing will be no problem for them. So often with that kind of behemoth, there is a lot of complacency, oddly, because money will solve everything. Yeah. But they, they are completely moving away from that. It's, that's the difference. Like on an indie film, it's got to be so meticulously monitored because planned, budget isn't it, is like, yeah. everything you know so but it's weird supervision there there are lots of different ways there are some supervisors that never touch score there are some that only do score there are some that just fix orchestras there are some that just do commercial licenses yep you know they're a strange and diverse breed <laughs>
0: Did you always expect to be in the music industry? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, are you one of those people that from the age of 10, it was going to be something music related that you did for the rest of your life? You just didn't know quite what that oh, was? Look, I wanted to, without doubt, and I still do,
1: wanted to be Indiana Jones. That was pretty much standard. what I needed to be. <laughs> I didn't want to be an astronaut or a fireman <laughs> or anything else. I just wanted to be Indiana Jones because... In 82, I think I saw Temple of Doom, or 84 I think it came out, and I was about six, so I was prime. But no, my dad was a musician, and in my little my little tiny room was his studio, so I'd look up at his old Fostex and his reel-to-reels and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved music from that age, from like six, seven. Started playing guitar when I was like 10 or 11, it was kind of forced on me. Had loads of music around the place. so. Yeah, I kind of, it was just almost like a preordained part. I wouldn't have been able to not do it. And then I knocked about in a band for years, actually ended up being a little bit more successful as a DJ, playing vinyl around the place and a few decent venues around the country right. than my band, although my band was actually, I thought was obviously the best band in the world. It still, still is of course, um, but it just didn't get anywhere and I couldn't afford to sustain it, which has been played out a billion times. Yep. So started as a kind of tea boy in a in a publishing company about 22 years ago which
0: publishing company um, was that it
1: was called mechanical copyright solutions a very sexy sexy just name just rolls off the tongue doesn't it it really was i mean it was every boy's dream still going no no no, no. who bought them uh, <laughs> i don't know what, mate i can't even remember i think they might have
0: so when when did done. when did you start gravitating towards the supervision licensing synchronization
1: it was so I was at that company for two years. It then morphed into another company, same name, same, same, but different. So that holding, I was actually there while I was trying to do a degree, which I didn't get. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I just jacked off the whole degree thing, which was again in music, I went there full time. And it was there that I got my first taste because we were working a lot with National Geographic. So I was continually being sent over to the edit houses in Molinaire and Soho to try and help them locate music. And that's, that's when I really got a taste for it. Mm-hmm. I got a real thrill out of watching these scenes with no music on, imagining what music could be on there. At that point I had no idea really that of the licensing minefields involved, different blankets, broadcasts, what it meant, but that was an initial thrill. And I remember it really like I don't remember yesterday, but I remember feeling watching these like these these wildlife documentaries and exploration documentaries, Indiana Jones style, mm-hmm. just thinking I know what music must be on here. Now it was completely okay. it was completely misguided what I thought the process was. Yeah. But that thrill is still with me today and I hope it always will be. Mm-hmm. It means I somehow like what I'm doing. How
0: much, how long after was Imagum? So that
1: was about so after that I kind of I went freelance for a bit on the wings of on the back of a bit of success. Again it was a different landscape. I was doing a lot of work for Discovery National Geographic. I helped out behind the scenes on a couple of movies, right. um, which I didn't get credited on, but I was just so like happy with it. And then went freelance, did a couple of great things. Worked again at a, a kind of touring company because, again, it wasn't paying the bills being freelance. Went freelance again. Right. And then about 10 years ago, I got to Imagem mm-hmm. as a rights holder because, again, it was about paying the bills. And yep. I think in my late 20s as a soup, it just wasn't working, you know?
0: Was that at the beginning of Margham this was 2010 uh, yeah around 2009 about the same. 2010 so it was a, you know it was. It's maybe a bit before just, 2008 just spun out of Universal Zomba yeah well it's spun out of BMG, BMG publishing yeah. after, B, after Universal bought it yeah. what was it like being a quite a big company that was very very new
1: it was cool. My email address changed within a month of being there. I was very proud of my Boozy and Hawks email address, but then that went the wayside. It was great. I think it was the team was relatively established when I got there, but it changed very quickly. the The hierarchy was brilliant. Um, my boss was amazing. Um, uh, you know, they were really great people. Um, you know my, my line manager was has become one of my best friends you know the, the team was amazing actually and they're all off now doing different things all heads of department at different places we yeah. had that kind of we were quite lucky because we are all still mates we had that hey we got the band back together kind of thing when we get together because we were very lucky we had great new copyright there was the thrill of the chase yep we were i think something like that is great because people aren't jaded by you because you're this behemoth that's been around for years, but you are big enough and have enough catalog that you can knock on anyone's door and they'll find you relevant mm-hmm. as a rights holder trying to get sync placements because you've just got some blimmin' brilliant tunes. Yeah. Um, and you can only be as good as that. You know, you can only be as good as the currency. And it was nice, you know, we were all learning off each other and we had different styles of attack and, you know, you can be a bit more fluid because it was a major label, I'd say spiritually, but it was certainly an indie, yeah. technically and, and spiritually as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was great. It was great. I really enjoyed that time. It's nice having a big, diverse catalog to go out and try and find placements for.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what do you What do you think of the the landscape in music publishing these days? It's very hard. Everyone wants to buy an off-market catalog. Um,
1: everyone wants to own a large churn before they can go out and then develop artists. I think, I do feel that artists, well certainly through managers who are about to break it and if they've got A&R sniffing around, they will generally understand the importance of publishing. Obviously now everyone and their nan talks about Sync, um, it's ubiquitous, whereas 10 years ago, again as you well know, it was we all knew what it was and everyone needed to do it, but it wasn't spoken about in the mass, generic terms that it is today, without doubt. Um, But it's great because, you know, I think like production music and library music is taking that thing, like people that know, they were on the ground with it five, ten years ago and it started that change with real music and real musicians, etc. But the landscape is, is interesting. There's a lot of acquisitions going on, especially with the majors as we all know. And they're just going out and buying up what they can. And obviously you've got something like Roundhill, who off based on kind of old school family money. And they just came in and they bought, you know, they bought Carlin. Um, mm-hmm. And now they are a massive major with it overnight. Um, a fantastic old publisher and label like Concord came in and bought Imagen. yep um, And that's a great marriage. And I think those kind of indie companies need to be refreshed every 10 years or so, which is what what has happened in that case. Um, but it's a competitive market. And as again, you know, all the sync teams, you always rolled out when the A and R bring in a new artist they want to sign. So what can you do for them? Oh, we can. There's nothing we can't do. <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm I basically. I can s- send emails. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got this database, yellow pages <laughs> over
0: here. It's really cool. After publishing, you had some time uh, recording studio.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what, I, what prompted that? Um, I. Because I was doing a lot of supervision, whilst I was at Imagem, I got to know Metropolis Studios very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I found myself often being asked by producers and directors, oh, do you know where you're the music guy, where can we release the record? Now I was just a, hu- a humble publisher, I don't bloody know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew the guys at Metrop and they had a great label, so I'd always refer them, the producers, et cetera, over there if they wanted to release a, an OST, an original soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I got to know them. I was friends with the CEO, they wanted to move into IP ownership, so they wanted to start a publishing
0: company. <laughs> I said, is that something that you think a lot of studios are having to do now? It's a. There's been a lot of talk about studios closing, there's more people that have just got enough kit at home mm. to do what they need to do. So everybody's got to be has got to diversify.
1: You've got to diversify. I think 10 years ago, there was probably, I think, this, I can't remember the exact stat, but it'd be very Googleable. so I'll put chance my arm on this. I think there were about 90 studios in the UK that were like considered a major studio almost, yeah. not major, major, but you know, big enough. And I think when I joined, by the time I joined Metropolis, four or five years ago, I think there were eight left in that space it's like the pubs all closing that's,
0: that's a big drop yeah
1: massive drop um and just they almost became rehearsal rooms now are other studios getting into publishing label supervision the way we were i don't think so but they are certainly diversifying because they have to um you know metropolis has its has different things going on now in a different path but at that point we were we did really well and we wanted to do supervision i wanted us to do supervision and have a separate arm because short-term developing artist, as we all know, isn't going to bring in the churn. Um, mm-hmm. But I was, I'm was i very proud of what we achieved there, I think it was a very a very brave and piratical thing to do, um, and I'll never swap that experience for anything, um, but then, and I wanted to do it because I'd been at this behemoth for a while, and I just thought, right, you know, give me the tools, you've got to try and prove yourself, and yeah. it was a good opportunity, and you've always got to do it, and it's the same with what, what we're doing now, you know, I just, the Supervision had come to a logical conclusion with the event. I kind of rolled my eyes subconsciously and said, "All right, I'm in sync. Doing the event, doing the supervision. You know, I've got this this um, a great relationship. I sit on the on the board actually of this um, of this school funding company now, and and it works very well with my creative agency and vice versa. Um, it's the same conversation effectively if I'm selling something or mm-hmm. our wares. Um, so it's really cool. I like it. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. that These things always ebb and flow. And I think being able to predict is great. So having our event at the end of the year that's coming up and having the, you know, the consultancies that we do, this enables us to do what we really love, which is supervised movies. Mm-hmm. But that's not always going to keep the wolf from the door, as we no. all know, and we were talking about before. So, you know, but it's good times
0: yeah. for now. Yeah. last thing I wanted to, to discuss was the newly formed Guild of Music Supervisors. indeed. Um, I wanted to find out kind of what your role in it is, and more specifically, it's something that has uh, America has been utilizing for quite some time. Yeah. What's the goal? What's the aim for the UK? The UK
1: Guild, and there are big differences between the US and the UK Guild, although we set up the UK and European Guild in conjunction with the US Guild, so I've been very instrumental since day one on this. The the aim is to enhance and empower, I haven't rehearsed this, but it's to enhance and empower the craft of music supervision, to make sure there's regulation, to make sure that producers and directors of all media recognise The importance of the role, what it is, you know, elevate that in the consciousness as much as we can. It will be a hard graft and frankly I don't think many of them will care but it's good for us also on the flip side to prevent supervisors that aren't supervisors from stealing jobs in a way. That's not the actual technical standpoint but you know we have to protect ourselves because often people get drafted in who don't know the craft will give supervisors a bad name. Right. Um, It is very much about reputation and reliability. So if people see kind of gunslinging music soups that aren't sticking basically to the rules it's going to give the real soups that are out there hustling and making an honest buck, it'll give them a bad reputation and our craft is important to us. Now Mm -hmm. whereas the US Guild they're as pleased to be an Emmy nominated category as they are for their craft to be recognised, the healthy cynicism especially in Britain means that we i have been surprised that like everybody really genuinely cares about who's on the on the guild about the craft being taken seriously mm-hmm. and about the public media consciousness of what we do being recognized and I think it is more than an awards ceremony or it when well, we don't have one at the moment but it's you know it's more than the music week sync awards and all of that this is very much about the actual art and the craft of it yeah. and trying to protect it
0: it's, it's unionizing to a degree but I was going to say yeah. it's kind of it's along the lines of a music supervisor's union? It is along the lines of that. When will be the first first industry action that you take. Oh, well, (laughs) I mean. When will all
1: the music supervisors go on strike? Yeah, we've got our placards (laughs) ready. I won't tell you what's on them yet, but. Um, How's it going so far? It's going very well, it's going very well. I think like any organization, it's, um, you know, you always have kind of teething problems and that, but I have to say we set up very, very quickly I know that the u s guild, I know on the ground, having been there and talking to some of them last week, they've been very impressed with how quickly we've set it up all the events we do, we do master classes, so there's a big big educational aspect i mean it's a massive push for us that we want to bring up the next generation of music supervisors and be as inclusive as possible mm-hmm. um, It really is, and it flies in the face of the traditional lay of the land of supervision, where it was a very closed shop. I think we are all very passionate about the next generation coming up and being trained in the right way, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's it's going well. It's going well. There's a who's who on there of of all the of all the major TV dramas, films, anything that's come out of the UK mm-hmm. in the last twenty years. Um, they're they're sitting in that room or they're on the they're on as members or whatever it is. It's it's a great place to be. Um, I'm certainly in you know way out of my depth. These people are all absolute pros they're brilliant people and I think as a body we are very very powerful and people are starting to take notice because they see more what the credits are and the impact that these people have had on those films and advertising campaigns and video games it's it's a great thing but mm-hmm. you never know you know you throw the ball up in the air, you never know how it's gonna land but like we're coming up to the first anniversary and people know us cool people know us so it's good it's good <laughs>
0: what does the music industry look like to you it looks like a
1: vast massive octopus with mutant like double tentacles he's gone literal
0: he's gone literal he's done it again
1: (laughs) Um, a purple eye bulging (laughs) rabid dog of the sea depths (laughs) okay Um, should I leave it at that no it's it's like it I think you, for us, and again, I'm very, you know, it's very selfish, centric kind of view. But we're trying to be very nimble. You've got your behemoths and your pillars and these sausage machines, and they do what they want, and that, that will never change. Mm-hmm. You know, from the from the day I saw something with Frank Zappa the other day, it was a talking head of him in 1993, just before he died, and he was talking to camera, and the interviewer might have been Rolling Stone or whatever said to him, "What does the music industry look like to you?" And he said, "Well, look, it's run by fat guys with cigars." And then the guy said, yeah, it was the same for you in the 60s, wasn't it? When the Mothers of Invention were around, he goes, yeah, but my fat guys with cigars weren't scared and they had a load of money that they would put on any young band going and they took risks. The difference is your fat guys won't. That was 24 years ago and I I think there might be a slight shift, like we are on an upward curve, Mm -hmm. streaming, now people understand it and understand how to monetize it. There is real talent out there. There are certain guitar-led male artists out there who I can't stand, but actually at least they can play the bloody guitar. You know, so you have to kind of take some semblance of of positivity from it. Um, I think we've learned from the whole digital, it's taking ages to catch up with the digital revolution because now people are solving problems quickly as they come up Mm -hmm. um, in terms of media and how you monetize stuff. We're now more adept excuse me, something might come out of the blue And we have to figure out how to monetize it. It's lovely being on the ground for a bit at this moment because you can move quite agile and dodge the bullets and just kind of make sure that you focus in on one part and you can become a specialist Mm -hmm. outside of these major labels. But it's unwieldy and it will just carry on growing. And the more people, the more people that can make albums in their bedrooms, whilst that beautiful creative kind of vehicle has been given to us by technology and Lord and Lady Gates and his reverend, the, the Jobs and all of that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it just makes it, the playing field even more packed, then people get branched out because they don't make it and they want to be music execs and then that feel gets... So it just, it's like a massive snowball, mm-hmm. um, but it's exciting and with more diversity and more people on the ground making music comes more ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, It's very hard not to get jaded and to just stick your head in a hole of music that you like. And I think the best execs out there, the best supervisors and the best people are people that always keep their ears open for new music. And you'd be surprised how many people don't in the game. You know, there's a lot of people that don't want to talk about music after five o'clock. <laughs> so, you know how it goes. Yeah. It's, um, it's good, man.
0: Nice one. Cheers, Dan. Cheers. Nice Nice one. As always, a massive thank you to my guest this week, Roo Hollier of Red 5 Creative. It was a great conversation we had back last year, in fact, in the hospital club. He got me in to the hospital club. It's always a nice place to go to for a chat. And as I said at the beginning, I really want to get him back specifically to talk about some of the new and interesting projects he's got going on in virtual reality and all that sort of stuff, stuff that we didn't get the opportunity to talk about first time around. Um, if you want to seek out Red 5, uh, go to their website www.red-5creative.com or you can follow them on Instagram, red Five underscore Creative. So do check them out. If you're interested in getting in touch with Roo, Uh, By all means, do that via the podcast. So get in touch with me at the podcast at BehindTheBusinessPod at gmail.com. Find me, find us on Instagram at BehindTheBusinessPod. And alternatively, follow me on Twitter at Danny Champion. That's all for me this week. Again, thank you very much for checking out the podcast. If you do think this will be interesting to anybody else that you know, do pass it on. Do tell friends do tell family not sure why you would want to tell family but hey ho um, until next time thank you very much and I'll speak to you soon